Welcome to the Styano Plastic Surgery Podcast with plastic surgeon JJ Styano, the only plastic surgeon in the UK who owns a clinic specializing in breast and body contouring. Yes, good. No last minute problems with internet connection or anything like that. Everything is fine and dandy. It's me. Who's me you're seeing? Well, if you're on Facebook, you can see the text on the screen because I've got fancy pants software, which says that on Facebook. Instagram doesn't know what I'm on about because um, I, I don't know. Can you get scrolling things on Instagram? If you do, I want it. All right. I want it. Oh, you know what? I've got photos and I showed the photos in Instagram last week, but I haven't set it up this week. Oh, dear. Amateur. Anyway, this guy right here, if you're wondering if you're new to uh, the show, uh, <laughs> it's Jonathan Stiano, uh, plastic surgeon extraordinaire, and uh, he's here to answer your questions. And uh, if you've got a question, then just post it or well, that's it. Post it. I don't think there's, a, there's no there's no ifs, no buts. Just post it. Yeah. Uh, but if you haven't got a question, just sit back and listen to these questions right here, because I've got a list of questions and I'm going to start with this one, if that's OK with you. OK. Can you remove bath birthmarks, bath birthmarks through excision? Yeah. Is there another one? Yeah. Um, I, I find it. Can I just say. I'm going to assume every audio and video. I don't want to say that every week. Let's just assume that the audio and the video is working, shall we? Let's just going to make that assumption. Um, I find it maybe weird's the wrong word, but uh, you know, I find it obvious when people say, "Can you remove this through excision? Can you remove that through excision? This mole, that mole." Uh, tattoos. A lot of people say, "I didn't realize you could remove tattoos by excision." All is well, says Khan someone's listening okay that's what we need that's the sort of interaction we need now i've got to be honest with you instagram's good because you've got lots of waves waving there's a lot of waving going on on instagram which i'm very grateful for facebook not not quite sure but khan has said all is well so khan thank you for that someone apart from these people on instagram as well is that it right um Oh, God, where's my question gone? My question is gone. Yeah, I find it weird when people say, can you remove this through excision? Can you remove that? Can you remove a birthmark? Uh, we had one the other day, can you remove a cherry angioma? I hope that's not on your list of questions. I hope I haven't stymied one of my questions for later on. But um, basically, you can remove anything. I mean, you can cut a bit of skin out. You can cut any bit of skin out. Um, the thing about the cherry angiomas is they're often quite small, so it's not really worth cutting things out. So often, you know, sometimes you might want to go and see a dermatologist for some advice if you have got a condition. And actually, there is one later on in the show uh, where where someone might want to see a, a dermatologist. Keely's here. Keely, good to see you. Um, but you can remove anything. So birthmarks, yes, birthmarks are, but the thing about birthmarks is they can range. So what we normally say to people, to be honest with you, we say this for most things with tattoos and moles and cysts, if you can send us a photo is usually the thing to do. So we can, so, you know, can have a look at it, give you an idea of whether it's possible and if so, you know, what we would involve. But um, you, the simple answer is yes, you can remove birthmarks through excision. But a bit like the tattoo, uh, well, a bit like anything, depends on the size and the location. So if it's a huge birthmark, um, you know, over your face or something like that, then 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 that's gonna that's gonna be a challenge slash impossible. Um, but if it's a small birthmark somewhere where there's some skin laxity, then yes, it could be removed by excision. Although it would leave a scar. That's the thing about removing these by excision; they will leave a scar. So you have to balance that scar with the um, against the um, uh, benefits of having the, the the lesion or the mark removed because particularly if you're doing it for cosmetic reasons um you may be unhappy with the thing that you've got whether it be a birthmark or a tattoo or a mole but then what we don't want to do is trade it in for a scar and make you unhappy with the scar so we've got to make that balance that you're going to be you know find the scar preferable to the thing that you've got whether it be a birthmark or a tattoo or a 
um, mole or whatever. So, but yeah, simple answer. Um, and long, long dragged it out a bit, but yeah, a birthmark can be removed through excision, um, depending on the size and location. Send us a photo info at stianoplasticsurgery.co.uk. It's a long address, I know that, but what can you do? You know, what can you do? Ida says, Good evening. I'm going to say good evening to you, Ida. Nice to see you here. And here is a questions. Oh, this is a classic, isn't it? It's a classic, classic question. Why don't we? Is it, yeah, I want to be a double D cup. What size implants will I need? Classic. That's a classic, that is. Um, well, I don't know. Simple answer I don't know. And I don't go on cup size. And the reason I don't go on cup size is that everybody out there could wear the cup size bigger or smaller than what they're wearing now just by changing the back size. So if you're a 32B, you could wear a uh, 34A. Maybe that. Maybe I should have said 32C, 34B. It might have been sounded better, actually. But yeah, if you're a 32B, no, <laughs> I shouldn't, I shouldn't try and take on complex equations this late at night. Uh, I should have had it written down. If you're a 34B, you could be a 32C. Okay, I think that's quite clear. Bigger cup size, smaller back size. You know, you could you could probably wear a bigger cup size and a smaller. That's the bottom. That's a better way of saying it. Let's just, can we just cut that last bit? Just cut it and then go start from here. If you could always wear a bigger cup size and a smaller back size and just change your cup size with the breast that you've got now. That's the point. So it is not a set thing, a cup size or different make. Sometimes people say, when I go to this shop, I'm a this cup size. And when I go to that shop, I'm a, another cup size. So it does depend on the make and it does depend on the backside. So backside, did I just say backside? Um, cut that as well, please. Um, so it is is not a precise science so if someone says i want to be a double d it's like flipping neck i cannot guarantee that so what we do in terms of the implants is we have sizes in the clinic which are a bit like chicken fillets they're like external prostheses and we know the volume of them so that's better than saying i want to be a double d we give you these sizes we say look that's a 150 cc that's a 250 that's a 300 that's a 400 whatever these are that's you know 300 cc's of volume try that in your bra what does that fit does that feel like a good volume and if you say yes well we say okay well that's the sort of volume we're looking at we're looking at 200 to 250 or something like that that's the volume we're looking at and then we've got to look at the shape and the profile which is actually more important than the volume shape and profile is everything really well width width is everything um anyway there's those three things really in terms of choosing an implant the width the shape and the profile and the volume and actually everyone worries about the, the volume and actually the volume is the least important out of the three the most important is the width and that is a set number that's the width of your chest then shape and profile once you've got you know your width is set once you've chosen a shape and profile of implant that will then lend itself to a certain volume so that's how i go about choosing implants um and I don't start with the volume, whereas when someone comes to the clinic, they always start with the volume, say, what size implants? Well, I need to be a double D and all that. So that's how we go about sizing people for implants. It's um, it's all about the girth. If you like, if you like Sealy, yeah, it's all about the width. The width is absolutely crucial. And I think that is how you get a good result. You get a, the right width and you, you particularly don't want to go too wide in my practice that's how i do it all right calm down instagram flipping heck what kind of crew we got on instagram here right um so um yeah so in answer to your question whoever i don't know who asked the question but uh whoever wants to be a double d can't guarantee it try the volume sizes and then we can give you that volume and then hopefully be the cup size you want to be but i'm going to be fair disclosure I get it wrong all the time in terms of cup sizes. People say I want to be a D and I'm like, okay, that sounds reasonable. Try and just go through the process and they come back and they're a double D or a something else. I'm like, oh, crikey, you want to be a D? And they go, no, no, I'm happy. If you get it right, it doesn't matter what the cup size is. You've got to get the shape, the profile, the size, everything right. 
that's what you've got to do. It's not about the size. You just go for the double D and the shape's not right or it doesn't look right. You're not going to be happy. Whereas you get the shape right, you get a good look to your, your breast, the right, you know, the right fullness, the right shape, the right profile, the right width, you're going to be happy. You know, so that's the way to go. Could do a whole thing on that, but I'm going to curtail myself. Um, we have got someone using the hashtag fourth comment in, guys. Fourth comment in. We got the hashtag being used. Hashtag ask JJ. That is the sort of publicity we need. Well done, Liz. Big up yourself. Yeah. High five. Boom. Right. Uh, <laughs> sorry, I saw someone do that the other day. I thought it was great. Are you Instagram? High five. Yeah. Boom. I'm gonna I'm gonna steal it now. It's gonna be my thing now. I'm gonna do that. High fives. Issa is here. Boom, Issa. High five. Wave at you. Right. Um, is it necessary to have drains with a tummy tuck? The idea of having them makes me queasy thinking about carrying them around and then being tugged caught accidentally. Oh, my Lord, that makes me queasy too, Liz. Um, good question. Very good question. Um, no, uh, ooh, I don't say no. Is it necessary to have drains? Well, let me answer a different different question. Is it essential? No, it's not essential. And there are people out there who don't use drains. And I've got to be honest with you, Liz, the movement in the plastic surgery fraternity, there is a movement away from drains in general. Uh, and up, up, personally, I'm moving away from drains, too, because people don't like them. The idea makes people queasy. They feel uncomfortable. They don't like having them removed and people don't like them. So if you can use not use a drain versus using a drain, if you say to someone, do you want a drain or not? The answer is always not or everything else being equal. So there are people out there who don't use drains. And I think it is very appealing not to use drains. But I do use drains. So is it necessary? No, because people don't use them and they have good results. So that's fine. So but um, do I use them? Yes, I do. So it is necessary in my practice, but not necessarily in everybody's practice. And the reason I do use them in a tummy tuck is because there's a dead space there. And I use suction drains. You don't go home with them. You only have them in for one night, maybe two nights. So you don't have them in for long. But I do think they are good. And I'm now doing quilting sutures to close down that space to reduce the drainage, to reduce the need for drains. And it might be that uh, watch this space. I might not use drains in the future, but I do at the moment. So, um, yeah, um, but I don't know that, you know, I, we're all moving away from them. And I think the idea makes a lot of people queasy. Um, but as I say, you're not having you don't have them in for long, one or two nights. Um, and uh, and I still think they do serve a good purpose, personally. Lisa Wicklund is in the house. You got it spot on with me. Very happy. Lisa, calm down. It's early days. <laughs> calm yourself down, Lisa. Calm yourself down, but I'm very grateful for the comment. I'm just going to leave it on there. I got it spot on with Lisa, all right? Thank you, Lisa, for that. And hope you're okay. Hope you're all right on the journey home and everything. So that's good to hear. Yes. Yes. Winner. Winner. Ring the bell. Haven't got one. Right. Just let everyone see that. Got it on spot on with Lisa. Good. Good, Lisa, because we went over it quite a lot, didn't we? So that's good. I'm glad we got it spot on. And I thought it was spot on as well. Um, Tanisha. Just joined. What does it mean to have the implant under the muscle or over? What's the difference? Good. Oh, and then look at this. What's Tanisha done? She's come back on with the hashtag. Yeah. That is what I'm talking about. Tanisha, I salute you. Um, do you know what, Tanisha? People getting really into this breast implant thing. To be honest with you, people getting really into everything with the internet, they get into it so much. And it's arguable whether, you know, like, I mean, I suppose it is a good thing that people are informed, but they do, sometimes people get really down the, down the, into the sort of minutiae and into the this and the that and the, oh my Lord alive. So the muscle thing, I mean, I wouldn't, the bottom line, Tanisha, I won't worry about it too much, is my, is my uh, advice. Uh, it is a bit of a technical thing, but since you've asked, I will answer the question. Um, but there's a lot to think about in terms of implant size, shape, you know, type of implants, all different types. Um, but in terms of the muscle, the muscle refers to the pec major. The pec major is a big muscle going along here. I would show you. 
but I'm not sure Facebook might, uh, you know, might shut me down with uh, slash Instagram. Let's not forget Instagram. I think Instagram will be all right with chests, isn't it? So Facebook shuts you down. Well, you're the same now, aren't they? But anyway, I would show you on myself, but you know, on the bodybuilders and stuff, you know, the pec major, big muscle comes across here. So under or over the muscle means under or over the pec major, this big muscle here. Um, and the, the uh, there's good and bad about both. That's the thing, you know, so you can't just say one's better than the other. Um, and so the good thing about putting them on top of the muscle is hurts less, bleeds less, recoveries quicker. And also the implant sits with the with the breast tissue. So it's on top of the muscle. That's good. Uh, when you put it under the muscle, hurts more, bleeds more, recovery's a bit slower. And also the muscle can sometimes hold the implant up high. Sometimes the muscle can hold the implant wide. And sometimes you get animation deformity. So if you do the gym and what have you, the the, um, implant, the breast can move because it's underneath the pec major muscle. So every time you flex the pec, the breast moves because the implant's underneath it. So that sounds like it's bad for the for the muscle thing. So what's there must be something good about the muscle thing. So the good thing about that, having it under the muscle is the muscle gives it an extra layer of cover. So if you're very slim, particularly if you can see your ribs, if you're very slim, then you worry if you put the implant on top of the muscle, you'll be able to see, maybe able to feel the implants, maybe able to see the implants, maybe see ripples. I don't know if you ever see rippling of the implants. Sometimes you, if you look at an implant, you hold it up, often it ripples. And the question is whether you can see that through the skin. And if you can see your rib cage through, not through the skin, but you know, if you if you can't hide your rib cage, I always say, look, if you can't hide your rib cage, you're probably going to be able to see the implants. So that's why putting it under the muscle can be helpful. So uh, that's the good thing about putting it under the muscle. It does um, hide the implant better, but it just hides it in the upper uh, medial quadrant here. Here is not under the muscle. Um, so uh, that is always uh, on, well, it's always sort of subglandular um so you might get ripples laterally on the side but but it does help it in the cleavage area which is a cosmetically sensitive area where you don't really want ripples here so that's the good thing about putting under the muscle um so yeah there was something i was going to say about that but they're good and bad tanisha good and bad about putting it uh, under the muscle and uh, it's a question of balancing it up for your particular um case i have shaved this morning it doesn't look like i have does it flipping heck um, so yeah, good and bad with the muscle thing, Tanisha, good and bad. Also, um, Tanisha, you can get animation deformities when I've said that already. Oh God, I'm losing it. I should do it. I think I should do this earlier on. Um, anyway, um, yeah. So that's the muscle thing, Tanisha. Under or over, which is best? Who knows? So um, next question, please. Oh, hold on a minute. There was something up here, wasn't there? Sorry, Instagram. I'm neglecting you. Um, uh, all about the girth. Can you remove skin and make me look good? Right, Seely. Okay. Um, right. Nice use of the ask JJ hashtag. So I'm going to commend you on that. Can I remove skin and make you look good? I don't know, Celie. That's a hard one for me to answer without seeing you and seeing what skin you want removed. I can remove skin and I can trade that skin in for a scar. And so the question is whether the scar is going to be preferable. So if you have got redundant skin somewhere, classic places of the breast, saggy, saggy skin on the breast, tummy, arms, thighs, uh, face as well, but I don't do facelifts, but um, they're all doing the same thing, removing skin and tightening the skin to make it look better. But uh, it might be a possibility, CD, a bit hard to say without seeing you and talking to you about the pros and cons. It's what it's all about, pros and cons. Weigh it up, people, weigh it up. Hold on a minute, what's this question? Okay, what's the difference between full and circumferential abdominoplasty? Well, um, in... in um, Simple terms, a full abdominoplasty just addresses the front of the abdomen. So when you're lying on the operating table, we take the, the, the uh, excess apron from the front of the abdomen, which is always the worst place. It's always, you know, even when you have a circumferential, the front is always worse than the back. So a, a, a full abdominoplasty takes the whole uh, excess skin, the abdominal apron from the, the front and gives a scar from hip to hip. A circumferential abdominoplasty carries that on and goes all the way around to the back. 
and circumferential abdominoplasty is much less common than a full abdominoplasty. It's a much bigger operation than a full abdominoplasty. It requires you to be turned during the theater, during the operating theatre while you're asleep, which is always a big deal. And it also um, has much higher risk of complications because you're tightening the front and you're tightening the back. And for me, the real benefit comes, yes, it does tighten the back. And sometimes people feel that they have excess skin on the back, but it's quite modest, the tightening of the skin on the back. For me, the real um, difference or the real benefit in terms of the circumferential is the sides. Because if you look at the uh, skin that we remove with a full abdominoplasty, it's like an ellipse. So it's very high in the middle. It goes from your pubic area to above your belly button. All that skin gets removed, but then it peters out to the side. So we take it out as a lip so we don't get dog ears when we close it. When you do a circumferential abdominoplasty, it peters out a bit, but it stays quite high and it goes all the way around. So the amount that you remove on the sides with a circumferential abdominoplasty is like that. And with a full abdominoplasty, it's basically nothing. So it's, it's much more at the sides that you remove with a uh, circumferential uh, abdominoplasty and it really helps those side bits those hips and it really takes skin off those hips but it's a significantly bigger undertaking and so it is really something that you've got to think about now cheryl michelle sent a request to be in your live video view request listen cheryl i think uh, in my experience people have done this errone erroneously if i say yes it will link to your camera and you'll be on live with me so I don't think, do, is that what you want? I mean, you can come on if you want, as long as you're not going to swear and stuff. But in my experience, people have done that by error. But if you want to come on and ask me a question live, that'll be a new dimension. I mean, that's a game changer. That if people want to come on live and, you know, proper talk live. I don't know if you can do that on Facebook. I'm not sure. Uh, but you can do it on Instagram. So if you want, Cheryl, say, yes, I want to talk to you. And I, and I will do it. Let's do it, girlfriend. But... Um, if, yeah, I, I'm going to wait because so usually people are horrified to think they might be on the camera and, you know, live to the nation. Because, Cheryl, I warn you now, if you go live, there's a lot of people out there watching this. I mean, we've got three, four people, Cheryl. So all four people will see you, the whole, you know, those four people in the nation. No, you don't want to. Oh, OK, there you go. Yeah, it was the it was that fame. I um, Yeah, I know you didn't want to it, it'd be. Be on the news before you know it. Five. Look at that. The numbers are going up. Oh. Social media influencer right here, sitting right here. Five people. You want a message? Tell me. I'll get it out to the nation. Right. Uh, what we got? What's going on? Tanisha is laughing. Thank you. That was helpful to know. Thank you, Tanisha. Very, very welcome. Why are my cysts not suitable for surgery? Um, the cyst is under my chin, but it's very large and visible. And now due to this cyst, there are smaller cyst spots forming around the area. Previously seen a dermatologist, they prescribed medication that did not work. The GP has recommended a private cyst removal. Okay, so let's show in the stream what we got. I believe that is a chin. Is that the same photo? Yes, it is. Okay. Um, uh, hide. Um, we can rotate it. Rotate it. Anyway, let's not try and get too fancy. Can you see that? It's a cyst here. Right. Um, I miss sort of love your accent. Have I got an accent? Cheryl, have I got an accent? I didn't think I had an accent. Have I got an accent? What accent have I got? Right. Uh, Instagram. There's the cyst. People, I tell you what, I can rotate it, can't I? That's just, that's what I should do. Rotate it. Oh, great. No, I can't rotate it because I've got my case on. God, right? Can you see that? You see that? So maybe you can't see it. I don't know if it works or not. Anyway, um, so this patient has got cyst here on the chin and they've got other cysts around the area and what i've said with this patient is that i think it would be better seeking a dermatology opinion i've got to be honest i said that before i knew she'd had a dermatology opinion because um i it looks like acne form skin it looks like there's acne in the skin and 
when you get multiple cysts, uh, particularly if there is acne in the area and subacute infection, by subacute I mean not sort of raging red and angry, but just grumbling infection, it can be difficult uh, to sort of cure that problem by removing the cyst because the problem is not the cyst. The cyst is a manifestation of the problem. And so you really need to get behind what the problem is. So um, I would... To be honest with you, I would stick with the dermatologist personally. I can definitely remove that main cyst. There's one main cyst and there's some around it. I probably wouldn't remove all of them. I'd remove the main one, but there'd still be other ones around it. And if there's other cropping up, if you haven't cured the problem, you're going to get more. So you're going to have a scar with, you know, some other cysts around it. And also, if it is subacute infection, when you do this sort of surgery in patients who have acne, you do worry a bit about um, the wound healing and infection, etc. So it can be a bit of an issue. So on balance, I would look at an underlying problem for there. And uh, rather than just going in and taking the cyst out, Instagram, got to apologize, poor connection. It's saying paused due to poor connection. We're back. I think Instagram, I think we had a, f a flood of people on Instagram there, which just overloaded the servers. Back down to five, four now. Okay, that's good. So hopefully we'll keep the connection stable we don't want these spikes you know when it gets interesting when this live q a gets interesting we get a flood of people coming in and it goes up to five or six and that really does overload things um muscle really helpful right should we get let's hide that photo get the big guy back on um it's me, this is Keely. It's me asking about immunosuppressants. Been on mercaptopurin for six and a half years due to ulcerative colitis. Thanks, JJ. How did you know that was the next question? Wow. Is this you then? I am I am immunosuppressant. I am immunosuppressant. Can I have surgery? Is that you? Or is that someone else? Uh, okay, Keely, I will talk about your one maybe if it's different to this so this question is saying i am immune i am immunosuppressant i think it means i'm immunosuppressed so we don't, we don't label that can i have surgery during covid19 yes you can we are doing surgery and uh, we have put uh, measures in place to limit the problems in terms of covid19 specifically so this is specifically asking if someone with immunosuppression can have surgery during covid19 there's another question to say should someone who's uh, immunosuppressed have surgery? That's a different question, which I'll answer in a minute, because I think that's what Keeley's talking about. So there's one question to say, should I have surgery, period? Um, assuming you're okay to have surgery, um, then is there a problem with COVID-19? Well, no, there isn't, because we have put measures in place to limit uh, the potential for contact and for spread during surgery to both protect ourselves as the healthcare providers and you as the patients. And we do lots of things uh, in terms of uh, keeping things very tight with the PPE, we're doing COVID tests for everyone prior to coming into the uh, hospital with only people who are having procedures allowed in the hospital, which is a bit harsh on the relatives I know, and I feel bad about that. But um, it's all in a measure to limit the uh, spread. So you're absolutely fine. If you're okay to have surgery uh, at any time, you're okay to have surgery during COVID-19. However, you might feel uncomfortable and you might be worried because of the increased risk around this time because of the COVID-19. So you might wish not to, which is fine. And if you are significantly immunosuppressed and, and uh, under another physician, you might want to ask them you know, what they think. So you might choose not to, but uh, we are still doing surgery. Um, I would say as normal, pretty much as normal in terms of patient selection, but uh, obviously limiting the amount of surgeries we're doing and um, putting extra measures in place. But uh, yes, so yes, you can. Oh, hold on a minute, this is you. I was diagnosed with ulcerative colitis in March 2014. As you can imagine, I'm on a cocktail of medication, one of which is the immunosuppressant period. Oh, here we go. I, or it is you, right. Um, so, um, so Keely, let's, let's work. So, um, uh, I also smoke purely to help with my UC. I, if I stop, I usually start to go into a flare. If I stop what smoking or the immunosuppressant. So yeah. Okay. That's good. Okay. So Keely, so specifically in terms of, um, surgery now, Keely, I'm not sure what sort of surgery, but I guess it doesn't matter that much when you're immunosuppressed, you are, oh, Cheryl's got to run guys. Cheryl, 
you go and have a good evening. Thanks for letting us know. Take it easy. Sorry we couldn't meet up on this occasion, Join, but uh, thanks for coming. Bye, Cheryl. Take goodbye, Cheryl. Everyone, take it easy. Five goes to four now. Oh, no, we're still on five. Are you still there, Cheryl? We're still on five, even though Cheryl's gone. Wow. Um, so, um, yeah, this is thus as I'm trusting. So immunosuppressants uh, will increase your risk of infection fact and if you've got a chronic condition so if you've got a condition uh, chronic means you know lasting a long time if there's an acute problem so acute means lasting a short time so acute and chronic in medical terms are different uh, slightly to what acute and chronic are in um, lay terms if you like so we we use the word acute to mean short period of time and chronic meaning a long period of time so if you've got a chronic condition where you're on immunosuppressants and nothing's going to change then we've got to make a judgment if you have an acute flare-up for instance and maybe if you if you're a bit up and down with your uh, inflammatory condition then we would say look let's get it stable so you don't really want to have surgery if you're maybe having a higher dose of immunosuppressant than, than you might be having in three or six months or in a year so if there's any chance that things are going to get better in, in the future, then fine, then you're better off waiting. But if your condition is chronic and it's just like this for a long time and you're stable and um, again, we would ask you to talk to your uh, gastroenterologist or we would talk to them if you wanted. We write to them uh, to say, what do you what do they think and whether there's anything that they need to do to optimize your medication? So that's the first thing. Your medication needs to be optimized. Um, what Do we know what the surgery is? Um, so whatever the surgery is, let's say it's some kind of, I'm not sure what the surgery is. So let's say it's some kind of um, uh, body contouring procedure, like a breast lift or a tummy tuck or something like that. One of these procedures where you're closing skin tight. Smoking is a disaster. And I understand that it helps you with your um, uh, uh, condition and it might make your condition, oh, here we go, breast lift. I thought something okay. So in, I understand that smoking might got it, Keely, breast lift. So uh, might help you with your condition, but from a surgical point of view, um, smoking and a breast lift is a disaster. A disaster waiting to happen. And I don't. It's not like got it in for smokers or anything like that. But I say to people, if you cannot stop smoking, then uh, don't have a breast lift. Uh, you know, it'll be, it's that bad. So if you, if you cannot stop smoking, or rather if you sort of don't want to stop smoking because your ulcerative colitis is going to get worse, no, I don't mean you don't want in a sort of, you know, I understand that it makes your condition better and that's what you're worried about. You're going to get a flare-up. But um, you, you, it's just not compatible in my, in my view uh, with having surgery. And it's just a question of managing that flare up, whether I don't know what to say about that. Um, and again, we probably have to seek help with your gastroenterologist with that or whoever's looking after your um, your condition to, to try and work something out. But you really need to not smoke if you are having a surgery like a breast lift because the wound is closed under tension. And if that wound doesn't heal up, it can be catastrophic and uh and smoking is is bad i mean it can happen even if you don't smoke and you, you you're throwing into the mix the fact that you're immunosuppressed so that does increase your risk of getting a, a wound infection which again can be bad with a breast lift so there's no question um keely that you're putting the odds you know sort of against you in a way compared to someone who hasn't got the same uh, condition as you uh, and there's no question you're increasing the risk that you might get a problem fact um and and i guess it needs a it needs a discussion because you might say forget it mate not having that if i'm going to get all these problems my problems you know my breast lift is not that necessary so i'll just stay as i am and i'm like well then that's probably a reasonable thing to do or you might say it's ruining my life i don't care even though i get an infection sort of thing in which case you might want to go ahead. But uh, it's a difficult one, Keely. I don't think there's any answers, and it just needs to one to be weigh up the pros and cons between yourself, us, and the um, person who's looking after your osteocolitis. But it's a tricky one, that, Keely. Tricky one. And, you, and they're definitely, you know, negative factors, if you like, or, or factors which would uh, increase your risk of complications you know, immunosuppression and smoking. <clears throat> and for me, smoking is a is a uh, absolute contraindication to surgery, really. Um, 
So I hope that's helpful. I'm happy to have a more good discussion about it. Tanisha, I'm not sure if I could ask this, but how do you prepare your patient that is having extreme anxiety about being put to sleep? I'm asking as I'm wanting to have breast implants and tummy tuck. I'm really excited, but I've been very anxious about being put to sleep. Yeah, we, we do see that quite a lot, Tanisha. And I think everyone to a degree is anxious. And obviously some people are more anxious than others. And um, I think... Uh, I think you prepare them by, uh, if there's a few things you can do, one thing is put them first on the list, because I think one of the worst things you can do is come at eight in the morning and then, um, you know, have surgery at sort of five o'clock in the evening, and that's uh, not helping anybody, which we try and avoid doing for, for, for anyone, to be honest with you, but um, that, that's something that we would do. And one of the things we do, we've done some cases today, which patients were quite um, anxious, and um, I think what I try and do, and I think what most the rest of the team try and do is try and make it a bit more routine, you know, and try and obviously it's a massive thing for you. And that's a massive op you're talking about there, you know, breast implants and a tummy tuck. But we try and make it like just another day in the office. We're just going to do this and we're going to do that. And then we're just going to, you know, it's just a day you know, let's just, you know, try and treat it as a routine thing, which it is for us. Obviously it's not for you, but um, you know, to try and make thought more oh, of a big deal and all that. I mean, we'll go through all the big deal stuff in the clinic. I'll tell you all the good and the bad about the surgery and all the risks. So you have to accept the risks. And I'm not trying to belittle the surgery because it is big surgery and there are potential risks and complications. So we have to go through that beforehand, but we'll do that in the clinic. You know, we won't do that the day of the surgery. We'll go through that in the clinic. And so once you made a decision to have surgery, I think the thing is to just, uh, you know, make you feel relaxed, try and be quite, um, you know, converse and, and, jovial and friendly and and uh, um you know what before you know it you'll be asleep and it's all over i mean that's, that's the thing but uh it's hard and i think everyone's anxious to a degree and i think it is difficult if you do suffer from anxiety um and uh you know and the other thing we can do is maybe if you want to talk to the anesthetist beforehand sometimes people do that to find it helpful but uh yeah i mean i think it's quite common tanisha um and uh, we try our best to make you feel relaxed and at ease. Neil Robinson. Hi, this is Donna. All right. I was this. Hi, hi, this Donna. Sorry. Hi, this Donna. I was having mummy makeover on the Tuesday and it got cancelled on the Friday in March. What, with all this still going on, is it likely next year? I was having mummy on the Tuesday and it got cancelled on the Friday. Yeah. It got cancelled on the Friday. So, Yes, so you're my patient and your surgery got cancelled. Is that what you're saying? Well, yes, it is. Yes, it is likely next year. Um, I mean, we are doing surgery now. So, uh, but the hospitals are far away. So maybe you don't want to um, travel. I, don't know, I hope they've, they've offered you surgery. But if you don't want to travel, I understand that. Uh, for this sort of surgery. So if you don't want to travel, that's fine. Um, so will it be going ahead next year locally? Yes, almost certainly, but I can't guarantee it. The hospitals, the local hospitals being used by the NHS, they've said the contract will end at the end of December. So they said they'll go back to normal in January. So I'm very much hoping that then we can start getting into some normality. And if you've been cancelled since the beginning of lockdown, you'll be first of the queue, rest assured. And um, very much hoping that, yes, absolutely, we'll be getting back in in January. And we are we are making plans. So I'll be honest with you, we are making plans. And, um, but we are a little bit um, restricted by the fact that the hospitals are saying to us, the contract ends at the end of December, which is like, couple of weeks you know we need some dates man give us some dates but we haven't got dates because we can give you a date and then you can relax so uh, i'd love to give you a date but uh, rest assured i haven't given anyone any dates because i haven't given, got any dates from the hostels but when i do you are going to be first my friend um so yes really sorry that's a, that's put the kibosh isn't it waited a year for your surgery but uh, i haven't been to the surgery uh, hostels locally since march I have not been there. So it's not like it's all going ahead. I have been other hospitals, but they're far away. So um, definitely in the new year, we are making plans and we just need some dates in the hospitals. And they've said that they will go back to normal and we are crossing our fingers and toes. So uh, hopefully we'll keep you updated. And 
I will see you very soon, Donna, and get this thing done. Because, uh, yeah, uh, very keen to to make sure that those patients have been waiting a long time get done. And I'm very sorry that this has happened, but, you know, the hospitals are all shut down. So, uh, yeah, uh, Keely says that was helpful. That's good. Thank you, Keely. That's me. Good. Thank you. So, Donna, watch this space. Or don't watch this space. We'll ring you. Or if you, if you want, you ring us. Keep in touch, yeah? Don't want you to feel like you're sort of not uh, in the loop. I removed my daughter's wart of almost two years at home with Wartner. Is that a person? Wartner? Was Wartner helping you or is a Wartner a thing? Anyway, could you explain what's going on here? Is another wart likely to form? This is question six. One, two, three, four, five, six. Okay, we've got a we've got a photo, guys. Okay. We have a photo, no? That's good. Um, okay, what is Wartner? I don't know what Wartner is. I'm assuming Wartner, usually these sorts of wart things are, uh, are salicylic acid. It's usually a, uh, a uh, an ointment that you apply that uh, destroys the, uh, the wart. And you have to be careful to apply it just to the wart. This photo here, oh, sorry, Instagram. Can you see it? I don't know how good it is when I do this. Is it? Is it any good when I do that? Can you see it? Basically, this is a young girl's forehead, and uh, there appears to be a wart on the forehead with a sort of red patch around it. And um, you have to be a bit careful when you're applying the wart treatments that you just put it on the wart, because if you put it on the skin around it, it can damage the skin. So that might have happened. I'm not quite sure what's happened here. But because the skin around the wart looks a little bit damaged, so that that could be a thing. You have to apply just the ointment to the to the wart itself. I'm assuming wartner is an ointment. I don't even know what wartner is, but I'm um, assuming it's the ointment that you put on warts. And uh, so I think that might be what happened. Maybe a bit of ointment got around the side, or it's difficult because your child is two, so your child might rub it, mightn't they, and then get it on the head. So that's a bit of a thing. We're not allowed to operate on children at the clinic, unfortunately, so we can't help you uh, with that. But I think that's what's happened. That, that might be what happens if, if you had a wart there and then there's redness around it. I think the the uh, the uh, ointment has got onto the surrounding skin and sort of damaged that skin. I don't think it's a disaster, but I think you've got to be a bit careful because the ointment should just go on the wart to destroy it. And you have to often keep on replying it and peeling it off and applying it um, to, to, to remove that wart to, to, to make it smaller but it's difficult on a two-year-old it's difficult on a two-year-old hmm. so um do you do fdr for back lift and vasal liposuction what's the difference between vasa and normal liposuction um so fdl is uh flirtly which is a type of tummy tuck where you have a vertical extension so it's like a flirtly like the these people have on their shields so yes we do do that upper back lift um Often I'd use liposuction rather than do a lift of the upper back, but yeah, we can we can can do an upper back lift, but we'd have to have a look at that. Uh, an upper back lift will give you scars on, on your rib cage, and I, I would probably go with liposuction there. But anyway, uh, VASA no, VASA we do power assisted liposuction or um, liposuction basically is um, putting a metal tube underneath the skin and sucking the fat out. Basically, that's what liposuction is, um, and there are assisted forms of liposuction so it can be assisted in some way uh, the most common one we use is power assisted where the metal tube goes backwards and forwards uh, there are other types of uh, assisted liposuction where energy is delivered to the fat before it is removed and vasor is one of those so vasor is one where it delivers ultrasound energy to the fat before it's removed the benefits of that are that the uh, fat is slightly liquefied before it's removed so you can use a smaller cannula than you would for power assisted liposuction you can often do it when you're awake whereas a normal liposuction you normally use to be, need to be asleep and um, and the other benefit is because it delivers some energy to the fat it might de deliver some energy to the skin and cause some skin retraction now the people who do vasa would i think say that now i don't do vasa so it's probably best to talk to a vasa person to get a balanced opinion on that um 
which is good, which is good for the skin retraction. So I often say to people, you know, having the tummy and things like that, it's good that it, if it does cause skin retraction, it's good. Now, the worry is, it's like anything, you know, whenever someone tells you something that's the best, well, that's good. You say, well, I don't everyone do it that way. Well, if it is delivering a heat energy to the skin, the worry is that I would worry that it can damage the skin. And certainly in the old days, and it might be going back a bit, and I might be old fashioned saying this, but it, there was some cases with burning of the skin um, ca caused to the, by that energy. Uh, and I think now they have temperature probes and things and, and safety measures to avoid that. But that is a worry for me. Um, and if it is not giving energy to the skin and that much energy to the skin, well, is it going to actually cause that much skin retraction? So it's a balance. They might say, oh, no, 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 it's not going to it's not going to cause skin retraction. It, it, oh, it's not going to cause burns to the skin. Of course not. It's not going to give that much heat. Well, then, if it's not going to give that much heat, is it going to give enough to cause skin retraction? I don't know. Just saying, um, you know, it's just uh, Olivia's here. Evening, Olivia. Um, just saying, I'm not sure whether that uh, how much skin retraction it gives, but that is the difference. And I think um, you can do a lot of things with um, power assisted liposuction uh, and vasoliposuction. I'm not, not sure how much of a benefit it gives. And it's probably a question of looking at someone who does vasa to see whether there are very significant benefits with it. But it's not something we do at the clinic. Uh, if you are looking for that, there's a long one. Are there different techniques for areola reduction? What do you do? I've seen that some surgeons perform the surgery by taking away the excess areola in a teardrop shape and then stitching back up, leaving a lollipop type scar to prevent the areola scar stretching and causing them to regain their preoperative size stroke shape. Is this common practice or do different surgeons use different methods to prevent the areola regaining their original size. This is, of course, something I would want to avoid if when I have this surgery. Wow. Um, so, I well, I've not seen an areola reduction giving a lollipop scar. A lollipop scar in my practice is a breast lift. So you can do that. You can remove um, extra skin i mean that that's where that's why there's more scarring it's not to prevent what is it to prevent the scar stretching um so in my practice you're absolutely right there is a risk that the scar can stretch when you do an areola reduction because you're taking a big circle around the areola and then a small circle you take a donut of skin and then you cinch it in and so there's a risk because that skin's under tension that the skin the scar can stretch so you can in my practice the way i do it is I use a permanent suture to reduce that risk. Not everybody uses a permanent suture. Some people use a long-term dissolvable suture. The reason people don't use a permanent suture is because if there's any infection in that suture, or if you can feel the knot, or if the knot extrudes through the skin, that's always going to be there. So that's a problem. So there are, you know, I accept there are risks with using a permanent suture, just like anything. If anyone tells you, try and, tries to tell you that they do a technique that's all good and everyone else is doing it badly, you know, or doing it wrong, you've got to think, hold on a minute, I don't think that's fair. So I think you've got to, you know, full disclosure, there are bad things about using a permanent suture. But for me, the, the benefits outweigh the risks because it reduces the risk of stretching, which is a worry you have if you use a, a permanent, a dissolvable suture. Although, as I say, dissolvable sutures can, um, uh, they can take, a, they, they are long-term dissolving sutures, so they take, take a while to dissolve. Uh, and the hope is it will form scar tissue in that time. Um, the thing you're describing where the lollipop lift, yeah, the lollipop scar is more of a breast lift, which at the same time as a breast lift do form an areola reduction. So an areola reduction is an integral part of a breast lift, but it's a bigger operation where you're reshaping the whole breast rather than just the areola. And you're taking a lot more skin away uh, and that will give that lollipop scar. And it's, a, and it's a, I would argue, a different operation to an areola reduction. It's something which you're globally reshaping the breast rather than just making the areola smaller. So I, I don't think, for me anyway, I think the different ways people do areola reduction is basically whether they use a dissolvable or permanent suture. Those are the two options, really, I think. I mean, I'm not sure if there are any other sort of techniques. And then the thing you're describing with the lollipop scar, I would then call a lift. And, and there are lots of different ways of doing a lift, of course. Um, but uh, I'll call that a lift, which is a bigger operation to reshape the whole breast. Um, <clears throat> here we go. Olivia's got a question. Uh, ask JJ hashtag. It's really hashtag ask JJ, but you know we're not gonna we're not gonna split hairs. Um, if the implant is under the muscle, can you feel it moving from the side? 
Can you feel what moving from the side? The implant. Yeah, you'll be able to feel the implant from the side if it's under the muscle. So the muscle's here. So you will feel, can you see the, the muscle? The muscle's here. So you will feel the implant here. Feel it moving. So the thing that moves is the muscle. So when the pet, pet contracts, sometimes the breast contracts because the implant's underneath the, uh, underneath the muscle. When you say feel it moving from the side, do you mean the implant or the muscle? Hashtag ask JJ, you got it, Olivia. We get there in the end. Um, yeah. So you mm, can you feel? So you can sometimes you can feel the implant from the side anyway, whether it's under or over the muscle. In fact, you can sometimes feel the muscle. The, the muscle doesn't hide the implant from the side. If, if this is, I hope this is answering your question, Olivia. The muscle just covers it here in the upper medial aspect of the breast. It doesn't cover it in the lower lateral aspect of the breast. So yes, you can feel the implant in the lower lateral aspect of the breast uh, when it's under the muscle or when it's over the muscle. If you sort of squeeze it, yeah, if you squeeze it, you can feel the implant. Yeah. Oh yeah. Well, good evening, Instagram, both of you, and good evening, Facebook. There's loads of people on Facebook. Um, so, I'm out of questions. So I'm going to say, uh, hope all's well. I'm going to check myself out. If you've got any questions, please ask away and please post them. And I will definitely answer them. Oh, God, I just turned my TV off. Did that happen? Sorry. Oh, God, I turned my TV off. So please feel free to email me, post on Facebook, post on Instagram if you've got any questions. I'll be here. Will I be here next week? Crikey. It's not Christmas yet, is it? That's the 22nd. Probably will be here next week. Is that a normal day? Yeah, probably be here next week. So I'll see you same time, same place next week, I think. Unless I'm doing some crazy, going to some crazy Christmas party or something. But we're not having those anymore, are we? So no, I will be here next week. Post them on Instagram. Post them on Facebook. High five. High five, Jackie. Thank you, Jackie, staunch supporter. You're one of the two, Jackie. Yes, Jackie, you're doubling the numbers. Thank you. And I will see you here next week. I'm going to stop the stream on there. Have a question not covered in today's show? Then send it over to info at styanoplasticsurgery.co.uk using the hashtag AskJJ. We'd love to hear from you.